MNK Talk YA now presents Three Dark Crowns, Part 2 of the Three Dark Crown series by Kendara Blake. to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this week we finished the first book in the Three Dark Crowns series by Kendar Blake. Yes, we did. Oh man. Okay, so I don't even know where to start, but I feel like <laughs> some of my predictions were spot on and some of my predictions oh, my were gosh. completely wrong. <laughs> I know. So you predicted that one of the sisters would be dead by the end of this book. Mm-hmm. And you also predicted that maybe the queens or the sisters did not have the right gifts assigned to them. Yeah. And you were right on one. You were almost right on two, but... I know. But I also, I think I got confused at the timeline. So I I, I thought this book would end at a later point in time. So I thought mm. once the contest started, that's when someone would die, in my defense. So I think in the next year, okay. however many books that takes, multiple, we'll get down to one. I don't know. I still think they're all going to survive. <laughs> this is my prediction. Well, as we get to know them more, I kind of hope so, but... I know. Okay, yeah. So at the very, very end, Arsenault eats the poison berries, or poison chocolate, was it? And survives. Oh, yes. But I think what I thought was going to happen, I thought Catherine was going to have the... Well, I, I thought they they maybe were switched or something, but I'm curious if Catherine also got the wrong... Like, if they were somehow put in the wrong place, or if we just have two poisoners and Catherine is still really weak. Yeah, I'm interested to know that too, because now that we know Arsenault is, in fact, a poisoner, it would make sense that Catherine, who we thought was a poisoner, would be the naturalist. And you also made a good point that she had that pet snake. That she seemed really um, attached to. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's her familiar. And maybe we'll learn about that in like the next book. Maybe. Although, okay. So I just have all these questions about what happens in the Black Cottage or whatever it is they call the place where they spend their first six years with their mom, right? And the mom's the only one who knows who has which power. Mm -hmm. So I'm like curious about how they get placed or tested or how they determine all that stuff at the get-go. Like, I wonder if they really just, like, somehow switched places or if they, if, like, the mom was trying to mislead people or if it's way more complicated than I'm, than I even understand right now. Maybe the queen purposely switched them because she wanted to create a situation where there was one very strong queen and two very weak queens Mm. to um, have that idea of, like, a sacrificial year where, like, people rise up and slay the other two, but she knew that, like, something would happen to prevent that. It would be interesting if she did it purposefully instead of, like, on accident. Yeah, and what her motive would be. Because you would think if she was going to promote one queen... Well, maybe not, because we don't know her backstory that much, but I was going to say she'd promote a poisoner because she was a poisoner, but maybe she wanted to take the poisoners down a notch because she was a poisoner and whatever experiences she had with her before. I don't know. I I hope we learn, because that'd be a cool question to answer. I, like, hope the mom comes into play at some point. Like, I think I'm so fascinated by the way this, like, power session happens and the generational triplet thing, and, like, I'm so 
curious if she's just out living her life on the mainland I want her to I want them to interact somehow at some point yeah because I mean I everyone says that the queens disappear onto the mainland but I forget which sister it was was like kind of thought maybe they they die yeah like one of them like didn't believe it so yeah. yeah it would be interesting to see if the queen comes back at all okay so where did we leave off at the half point okay we left off with Mirabella getting, um, meeting Arsinoe in the woods oh, yeah. and then getting taken back by the priestesses. And remember, I was concerned because I was like, oh shoot, what's going to happen to those girls who helped Mirabella escape? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't pretty. Well, for one of them. Well, Brie and Elizabeth, I think, were both beaten. And then Elizabeth had her hand cut off. Yeah. Yeah, it was a... And like I predicted, nothing happened to Mirabella. Yeah. But again, what could you really do to her? I don't know. You can't. I mean, not, she's untouchable, really. But it is funny to me, like, how controllable she is, given both her personality and her power. Like, the fa- like you would think if she really wanted to get away from people, she could do more to do so. It's like she also has that, like, oldest child syndrome of, like, wanting to please authority or something. Yeah, and oh, but also, like, where would she go? Because True. Billy has that really interesting moment where he says to Arsenault, like, I'm going to get you off this island. Mm -hmm. And I really thought he was going to, honestly, because he was like, my boat can come and go. Like, I'm not bound by the magic that keeps you tied to this island. And then he wasn't able to leave either. Like, he and Arsenault get captured again. So even if Mirabella was able to somehow, like, use her power to escape, like, where would she, I don't know where she'd go. That's fair. She's kind of stuck there. Yeah. So what do you think about the whole Joseph, Mirabella, Jules thing that's going on? I definitely think that there's something that happened with Arsenal using the low magic, that some something happened with Joseph where he's like falling out of love with Jules, even though he, it seems like he's falling out of love with her, but he doesn't want to be. He's almost like trying to convince himself that he's still in love with Jules when he's clearly just like thinking about Mirabella. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's a love versus lust thing though. And like he, but it's not even just like, oh, I'm really attracted to Mirabella. It's like he can't control it. But I feel like it's more of a f- lust than a love thing because he doesn't even know her very well. I think he still know, loves yeah. Jules, but I don't know. But I think it's, I liked. That he like admitted to Jules that he slept with Mirabella, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm just a little bit worried because I mean there was that whole scene where like Jules decides she wants to sleep with him mm-hmm. and he like can't. He's just like clearly like he can't bring himself to like he just can't stop thinking about Mirabella. And then there was that one scene where she's doing the fire dance mm-hmm. and like the quickening to like show off her skill, and he, Jules is like sees the way Joseph's looking at her mm-hmm. and it's like that has to be so hard to to have someone who you're like we kind of were like meant to be together from childhood like we had these very strong feelings for each other like against all odds you're back mm-hmm. and now you're falling in love with my best friend's sister like it's ugly yeah and not only my best friend's sister but my best friend's sister who's supposed to kill my best friend and your best right. friend yeah <laughs> it's messed up and I feel like Maybe Joseph can't help it. Like, maybe he really is just, like, entranced by her naturally. But, like, I like to think there's some kind of dark low magic involved with it. I think there's something magical, too. And I'm curious to see how and when they either break it or overcome it or whatever happens with that. Yeah. Because I'm also starting to feel bad for Mirabella because she, like, genuinely likes him back. 
Yeah, she really does. Like that scene during the hunt, whenever she escapes to like go see him in the hunt and she like they meet up and kiss and like have this moment. Mm -hmm. And it's like this secret thing that they're doing that they know they shouldn't be doing it, but like they can't help it. Yeah. Mm. I'm kind of curious in general about um, how these different tribes interact or whatever. I don't know if tribe is the right word, but you have, you know, each magical community And politically, they're very separate. And it seems like they don't, like, it seems like even if she wasn't queen, because she's a elemental, she couldn't be with a naturalist. But maybe that's Mm -hmm. not true. Maybe it's just because she's a queen that this is like, but it doesn't feel like we have any like cross relationships between the different groups of people as far as we know. Well, I don't know about that. Because remember the whole scene with um, Natalia? So Catherine's keeper Mm -hmm. has that moment where she reveals that she and Billy's father, so William Chatworth, Mm -hmm. she and him were lovers, and she has some kind of, like, bargain that she made with him, and she personally picked him to take Joseph when he was banished. So I'm just like, what is going on with that? So she has, like, a crossover with the mainland, but then how did she, like, how did she know that Joseph was banished in the other area, and, like, how did she have any say about where he went? Well, the council decided where he went. And she was she's, like, head of the council as long as the poisoners oh, are in charge. Oh, okay. Okay. But I – yeah, so that was kind of an interesting – but it didn't feel like a real relationship. It felt like a secret relationship. And I feel like the mainland is different than another magical True. group. But I don't really know how – because it also seems – Well, maybe it's just the queen who can have, like, obviously the queen has multiple children with different powers, so it's not like it's just past, like, it's not necessarily, like, because you're a naturalist and a naturalist, you'll have a naturalist, maybe? I don't know. Right. But I thought we said that the people in the mainland don't even have powers. That's true. Yeah. I don't think the dad really comes into play at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) kind of worthless. (laughs) But, like, what do you think is Natalia's endgame? Like, did you think she made a deal with William Chatworth? to send Billy to kill the other girls. And that's why Billy gave Arsenault the chocolates from his dad. They were like a gift from his dad that were poisoned. Um, I guess. I mean, they're definitely allies of to some extent. I don't think Billy knew the chocolates were poisoned. I agree. But I'm not sure. I think his dad definitely knew and passed it on. And I'm, I'm not sure to what extent the plan is for Billy to be aware versus the plan is just for Billy to get power by yeah by being at the end game king consort and that the dad and natalia will help make catherine queen so that he also becomes king like there's just like an agreement there yeah i agree because and then he also tells natalia about the priestess's plan to kill Mm -hmm. catherine and arsenal which now seems like that's they like even like luca is like in on the plan now like that's what they're gonna do they're gonna try and kill them both so and they actually already tried. Well, and that was interesting. Yeah, the plan was to do it at the Gave Noir, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And luckily, Arsenault and Catherine both found out about it beforehand. So they both kind of cheated to display their powers as not as stronger than they were so that the general public wouldn't think there were two weak queens, right? Oh, I was talking about the scene where, um, where was it when they bring Arsenault in after? Oh, Yeah. Remember, like, after she and Billy are captured, Mm -hmm. the priestesses, like, try and cut her apart. They, like, try to cut her up as punishment. But then Mirabella calls down that storm and, like, lets her escape. So they, like, flat out tried to murder her. That's true. And then they also had the plan. Yeah, you're right. They did both. Yeah. 
it's also funny because Mirabella doesn't want her sister killed, but right. again, they like it's so ingrained in them that they're that Mirabella is this powerful queen and wants to kill them that she like interprets it as or some people interpret it as oh she wants the pleasure of killing you herself. She's like right. big in tradition <laughs> and she wants to be the one to kill you, not like oh how nice that she saved you. <laughs> exactly. And like what did you oh you brought this up so what did you think about when they tried to um pretend like the queens are stronger than they are like you said like natalia makes the feast that doesn't have poison in it so catherine can eat as much as she mm-hmm. can't once and then um that whole thing with arsenal and the bear i know shit i liked i mean i i, I thought it was smart on both on everybody's part and I liked the way it all played out even though it was not good at the end but oh my goodness I think the thing I understand the least is what happened afterwards so the bear when uh Jules sees Joseph she loses control of the bear and the bear starts attacking people and then she finally gains control right before the bear hurts Joseph but Mm -hmm. in the midst of all this Catherine runs away and listens to what Peter had told her and meets him by the uh the Breccia domain yeah where the queen's bodies are thrown if they don't make it through the ascension year yeah and then he throws her in and she's missing for a while that was nuts so that was shocking i know and i still don't know i mean i don't think we know do you think he was doing it for her own good like did she gain more power or something from from that do you think he was trying to kill her and it went wrong do you think like why do you think he did that i think that peter maybe all right i think Peter fell in love with Catherine Mm -hmm. legitimately. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, he basically, I think he knew that the priestesses were planning to kill her and like how they were planning to kill her. And I think maybe he decided that it would be better for her to die this way than to have her essentially butchered. Because he does say like, I mean, before you push someone into a chasm and you think they're not going to survive, I don't think you would lie to them, right? Because there's no point. Like, you might as well tell them the truth. And so he says, I wasn't supposed to fall in love with you, but I did. And then he throws her in. So I'm curious if he was working for someone else and was supposed to throw her in, or if he knew she'd somehow survive and was trying to help her. Like, I sort of feel like she came back from that stronger. I don't know if it's just like, ugh, I'm angry and I, like, survived this thing and now I'm stronger because I know I survived this thing. Or if, like, the magic involved and all this stuff, like, the goddess and whatnot, if she, like, actually came back with more understanding of her power or something. Oh, that's interesting because I didn't pick up on her being stronger after she fell in or after she came back. And she might not be. It might just be that she's angrier. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would be. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I don't know what Peter's thinking. Like, it didn't seem like something Natalia ordered him to do. No. That seems, like, very counterproductive. So was he hired by someone else to try and kill her? Because he kind of came out of nowhere. I mean... Totally. Yes, he was... A nephew and all this stuff but we don't really know that much about him so I am curious if how truthful he was being to everybody beforehand and do you think he really loved her I think he did I mean I def I definitely thought that they both really loved each other but I also don't understand why he threw her in there so without a good explanation I don't know maybe he actually loved someone else and was just playing her and I don't know but yes I thought he loved her and I kind of hope he still does but I don't know and I also think it's just I'm amazed that she survived, honestly. That was shocking. I want to hear more about how she survived. Mm -hmm, Me too. And that's where I was like, I wonder if there's some magic involved and yada yada. But maybe I'm just wishful thinking. And now, like, what's going to happen to them now? Because um, 
Arsenault is, or Catherine's ruse was pretty much just discovered by Luca because Luca Mm -hmm. like confronts Natalia and she's like, how interesting. I stole some of the poisoned food that she was eating and gave it to one of my girls and she's not dead. So like they know that she cheated. But I also, I feel like the point of cheating was not to convince Luca. It was to convince the general public because what Luca was trying to do was convince the general public that it was like right, fair, part of tradition to kill, to to kill the queens if they were so weak. So as long as they put enough doubt in the general public, which I feel like they succeeded in, it doesn't really matter if Luca knows. I don't know. Agreed. Yeah, that's true. But then also, like, the whole thing with Arsenault, like, Mm -hmm. I think the plot to, like, use low magic to, like, call a bear familiar and try and have Jules control it was pretty stupid. But the one thing that came... (laughs) The one thing that came out of it was it looked like Arsenault sent the bear after Mirabella. Mm -hmm. And now Mirabella thinks that Arsenault is super strong. And she's, like, a little scared of her. And she's like, guess what? Next time we meet, I won't hesitate in trying to try and kill you. Yeah, and it's, like, undermining the love that she was feeling for her sister. It's helping her, like, view her sister differently and be more open to the idea of killing her. Yeah. But, okay, so I feel like the idea was right on, but why didn't they just, like, pretend, like, some other animal that they could actually control was her familiar? I think because it had to be something stronger than Jules's cougar, you know? I I even feel like with the cougar, couldn't they, like, they were always together. What if they pretended they had just been hiding it and the cougar was really, I don't know, never mind. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it seemed like, like, as soon as I heard the plan, I was like, oh, shit, this is not going to end well. Well, and especially because like, things d- already went wrong with a bear before. <laughs> right. It, like, attacks Arsenault and, like, takes her face off, essentially. And then even after that, she's like, well, you know, let's try again and have Jules control it. I mean, it's just... And again, with all those people there plan. and all... Yeah. It, but it, I don't blame them for trying something. What else were they going to do? Oh, also, yeah. question. What do you think about uh, Magical and Matthew? Oh, I I don't like it a lot. (laughs) I don't like it at all. So do you think that they, I wonder if it's similar to the Jules and, or not Jules, Joseph and uh, Mirabella thing, where somehow like she's used magic to trap him, magic to try to like stake something, to steal something from her sister, because she seems to have like a really competitive thing with Kara. Oh, yeah. And it seems like something really out of, out of Matthew's personality. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Matthew really loved and cared for the sister, and... Yeah. Yeah. And again, if you're going to, like, not be with your wife, that's one thing, but if you're going to be with your wife's sister, that's, like, a whole nother level of, like... Yeah, um, and Magical was, like, very defensive when they confronted her about it. Although I'm also curious, because we don't know who Jules's dad is, right? Mm, good question. Because I don't know. Because she was born during the... She was a, a Beltrane kid or whatever, right? Right, right. And so, like, during the celebrations, her mom slept with someone, and we don't, we at least so far, we haven't heard who it is or anything about him. And I don't necessarily think it's Matthew, but I'm curious if we're going to learn more about her heritage. Yeah, that'd be interesting, actually. Because if it were Matthew, you'd think they would have, her mom would have not been pro her dating Joseph. <laughs> True, yeah. I don't know. I hope we learn that. I don't know. There's a lot of questions, man. A lot of questions. So many. I was thinking of like how cool some of these scenes are. Like I would love to have seen Magic or um, Mirabella's fire dance mm-hmm. and like when they're all presenting their gifts to each other. I think that would have been like a really cool scene to see on camera. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I was also just, like, thinking how funny it was that, like, Arsenault has to, like, control Bear, and, like, Mirabella has to do this cool dance with fire, and then, like, Catherine's talent is she just has to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that would be the best gift, to just, like, have to sit there and eat a feast. Well, and you think... Sign me up. <laughs> for testing purposes, that there would be some kind of, like, they'd have prisoners there tasting and dying or something. Like, you think, yeah. if you really wanted to make, like, an impression, it wouldn't just be like, oh, trust me, there's a lot of poison in here. It would be, like... <laughs> Watch me watching other people <laughs> suffer from it somehow or whatever. Agree. <laughs> but I was just like, that would be, I wouldn't be Catherine. <laughs> yeah. That's who I would pick. Just eat as much as possible. with And like mm-hmm. adding to it, just like they talked about like the juice is running down her chin and like all yeah. of her, the gravy on her elbows and just like, <laughs> it's not even like queen like eating. It's just like no. dig in. Just tear into it. That's like a dream of mine. <laughs> Um, that actually, that Gav, what was it called? Graves Noir, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like the hunt and the quickening actually inspired some of my research this week. Okay, tell me more. I just love the idea of like all these ceremonies that they have to do every year and just like how serious they are about them and how like they're kind of bizarre. Like yeah. with the hunt, they have to like, like the girls paint symbols on the boys and like they run around trying to see how many animals they can hunt down. Yep. So I researched like some interesting festivals or traditions or ceremonies from around the world. Okay. This first one is called <laughs> I'm trying to see the actual name of it. I'm sure this isn't the name. Okay, so it's called El Salto del Colaco. Colacho. I don't know what that means. So it means the devil's jump. Okay. And this happens in Spain. It's a traditional Spanish festival that dates back to 1620. And basically what <laughs> What happens is men dress up like devils or like demons Mm -hmm. and in like these red and yellow suits and (laughs) they take all the babies who were born during the previous 12 months of the year Uh and they put them on mattresses in the street and then the men jump over the babies. What? What is the purpose of this? (laughs) It's like a week-long festival. They said the origins of the tradition are unknown, but it's said to clean, cleanse the babies of original sin and give them safe passage through life and, like, guard them against illness and evil spirits. Have they ever, like, missed and landed on a baby? God, I hope not. I hope not, too, but... But, like, there's these pictures of, like, it's like a processional where there's babies on mattresses placed, like, 50 feet apart throughout the streets, and these men dressed as demons oh carrying goodness. whips like jumping over these babies <laughs> <laughs> i just thought it was so bizarre and i actually did confirm it because i had dim sum today with some people who were in town from spain and i asked them about it and they confirmed that this is actually a festival that happens that is hilarious <laughs> oh my goodness okay so the next one that i read is called the polter event in german okay so this is a German wedding custom, and on the night before your wedding, guests bring uh, different types of porcelain cookware. So like plates and glasses and clay pots, and you break them. Like you just destroy them. <laughs> like you throw them on the ground and you break all of this like fine dining, probably not fine, but dining ware. Uh-huh. And... I guess the custom is there's like an old adage that says shards bring luck. So it's like said that it brings luck 
to the couple's marriage. The goal was just to like make as much noise as you can and like the couple will celebrate it with their friends and they'll break all this porcelain. And then what's kind of interesting is, so it actually takes place in front of the house of the bride. So her friends will like bring over all this stuff to her house Mm -hmm. and destroy it in front of them. And what's cool is, not cool, but like after all of this stoneware and flower parts and ceramics are destroyed, the couple has to clean it up together. (laughs) So they clean up the whole, all the piles of shards and it's supposed to like make you aware of like, you have to work together through difficult situations and like to teach cooperation and like, we're going to clean this mess up together and just like as a symbol of reunion. Is it weird that this reminds me of the Taylor Swift song about cleaning up confetti on New Year's Day? Oh, I love that song. I'm like, T-Swift gets it. (laughs) So I get in the ritual, I guess, again, is like to drive off evil spirits, but also to teach couples about the importance of cooperation. (laughs) I like that, actually. First of all, it sounds really fun to just like destroy a bunch of stuff. And then there is something to, yeah, doing that kind of activity together. It's good marriage prep or whatever. (laughs) Okay, this other one is kind of amazing. This is called Lathmarholi. Okay. So this is an Indian festival where women beat men with sticks. <laughs> Tell me more. So this, where do I sign up? This is a Hindu festival. Um, so laugh means stick, mar means beat, and holy is the Hindu festival of color. So basically what happens is like thousands of men come to a temple in a village called Barsana, and there's like a ritual ceremony, and... Uh, the celebration starts with women um, smearing paint on men, like colors. Mm-hmm. And then they sing folk songs and the women dance. And they serve this sweet drink called Thande. And then the next day, the men arrive again. And then they try to smear paint and color on the women. So it's like, first the women paint the men, and then the men try to paint the women. But the women take out sticks and beat the men. <laughs> And the men have, like, shields and, like, try and protect themselves. And so, like, the men will try to, like, guard themselves and save each other. And the women, or, like, urge all, all the women on to, like, chase the men and hit them. <laughs> and, like, it's all done in jest. And it's, like, supposed to be fun. But I guess the the history of it is there's a there's some mythological stories written about um, a man named Lord Krishna. Um, and he was a very... Pl- mischievous and and playful young man and he visited this village of Barsana where um, this woman he loved and her name was Radha and during the days of Holi, the Indian Festival of Colors, he visited her with his friends and they teased Radna and her companions and she was very offended by this and so her friends chased the men away with sticks. That is hilarious. And so this festival is like a reenactment of that legend but I just, I love it. Yeah, it sounds kind of fun. I'm in. (laughs) And it's really cool like seeing pictures of them throwing these colors. It's almost, it's like a powder it looks like and it's just really bright and beautiful and they like throw these colors on the men and like they're completely covered in like this powder um so it's like very colorful and like also playful and and fun and all done in good in jest but I just thought that was kind of funny I feel like we should just make up our own random festival and do it every year oh actually I've always kind of wanted to have a viking feast have you ever done that Mm -mm. what does that entail a viking feast is when everyone brings food like you can bring whatever type of food you have and you have it outside in a park, and you cover um, 
the table with like all the food and like cloths and stuff so you like protect the area around you and the rule is you can only eat whatever dish is in front of you and if you want another dish someone has to pick it up and throw it at you (laughs) (laughs) that sounds fun so if you were like hey i want some mashed potatoes someone would like pick up a handful of mashed potatoes and throw it at you i'm in that sounds like a lot of fun It's good thing it's in a park and not in, like, someone's kitchen. Right, right, right. Exactly. Unless it was marriage prep and you had the couple then have to clean up the whole place or whatever. Yeah. So those were some fun... Those are fun festivals. Ceremonies and festivals, yeah. What about you? What did you research? That's why I'm, like, so curious about the history of this, what's going on here. Because it also sounds like it happens every year, not just on the 16th birthday. So I'm curious, like, Mm -hmm. what... Is it just... Which parts of it happen every year? How do they do it when they're not having three queens when it's not an ascension year or whatever they're calling it yeah um, but so i read a lot about bears and bear attacks <laughs> and what to do in case of a bear attack because i was thinking like if i were in Catherine's or mirabella's or random audience members position what would i do like the the priestess who comes up with her i know they have these like really sharp knives but this is a giant bear i don't know i don't know if i would approach it so i wouldn't did you research um, Timothy Treadwell by any chance? Uh, the Grizzly Man? No. There was like that documentary. No. Oh. Tell me about okay. that. Okay. You should absolutely watch this documentary. It's called Grizzly Man. And this is actually where my dog Banjo got her name from. Wait, because... I don't know this story at all. Yeah, because he's like the man who, um, he was like an American environmentalist. He was a filmmaker and he was obsessed with the grizzly bears in um, Alaska and he lived with them for 13 summers and this documentary grizzly man like it it releases all the footage that he took of himself living among this group of bears every summer oh my goodness and it's fascinating because he you can see him like every year descend a little bit further into like complete madness to the point where he believed he was one of the bears he believed that they accepted him and like thought he was a bear and he just like acted more and more animal-like like throughout and just kind of just became completely obsessed and like a little deranged I would say. So where did and did he eventually get killed by the bears? He did so yeah yeah I mean it was at the point where like he felt so protective of them that like tourists would come to the islands and he would bark at them. Oh my goodness. Like he you know, and he mm-hmm. and he um, just got really kind of overly sure of himself that the the bears accepted him, and he the last summer stayed um, a lot longer than he normally did, and so new bears moved into the area who weren't familiar with him, and one of them attacked him and killed um, him and his girlfriend. Wait, he had a girlfriend up there. He yeah, he brought his girlfriend for the for the, like the last summer. And they were both killed, like, horrifically. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, getting attacked by a bear is not on my bucket list, to say the least. Oh, my God. They're terrifying. But, like, he, when he was there, he befriended a lot of other animals. Befriended. He, like, (laughs) surrounded himself with a lot of other animals and, like, interacted with them. And um, one of them was these two foxes who he like would interact with a lot and they would like follow him and like chase him around and he has like a lot of footage of himself with these foxes and one of the foxes was named banjo okay or he named he named him banjo and my dog looks like a little baby fox so that's who she's (laughs) named after i didn't know that story about banjo yeah okay (laughs) well that's fun or interesting Mm -hmm. at least 
So I looked up, uh, I have some, the title of the article is The Six Most Badass Bear Attack Survival Stories, because I only wanted to hear somewhat happy stories. And then I also was just reading about like what you should do in different situations if you run into a bear. Mm -hmm. So some of my, some of my favorite stories, there's just, bears are, you know, sometimes they're hungry and people leave their food around or whatever, or, or sometimes people surprise them. And there were just some kind of funny stories about like how people ran into bears or whatever. Oh no. But this one was, so these two guys, Jeff Herbert and Ken Scown were, they were on a hunting trip and they had gone to sleep and then all of a sudden they were woken up in the middle of the night and a six foot tall bear was in their tent and it bit one of them. So they were like inside this tent struggling against the bear and, you know, they obviously wake up in the middle of the night more aware than I do. So the one guy who was getting bit was like yelling at the other one to like help him or whatever. So he tried to load his gun. So the bear is like eating one of the men and the other one is trying to load their gun inside this tent and the gun wouldn't fire because he didn't push the bullet all the way into position. And eventually they somehow got out of the tent and chased the bear away and they were both badly attacked but they survived and uh they found out that the bear had been stalking them for days they said oh, yeah that's creepy i didn't think bears did that i know cougars have been known to like stalk people but so i don't know how they could prove that this bear was stalking them for days but this well, article probably says it was. saw them and knew that they had food and so that's was, what like, i'm thinking following, you know mm-hmm. yeah well, they're lucky they survived. Oh my god! I know. I don't. I still don't tent. understand how they survived or how this guy was like. Oh, let me grab my gun and like somehow man. Like I don't understand any of it really. But then there was this other uh, group of people. Their names were Patrick Thompson and Bobby Bryant, and they were driving a Gator, which is I guess some kind of John Deere utility hmm. vehicle, not like an alligator. And <laughs> this, I wish it was an alligator. And they just like lassoed and were riding. It did. It did take street. me a minute. I was like reading this article, and I was like, "What? What did they mean? They were riding on a gator? Like this seems <laughs> way more interesting than a bear attacking them." But it, it was not an alligator. It was a type of car. Um, but I guess this. So it was a rabid grizzly bear. So. <gasps> Afterwards, they found out that the bear had rabies. They, it tested positive for rabies, and they think this is why it was, like, attacking the car instead of them. But it, like, went for the passenger side front tire and then, like, was attacking the fender. And the two men were thrown from the vehicle, but luckily the bear just kept attacking the truck. So they somehow, I don't know if it was also thrown from the car or what, but one of them had a 20-gauge shotgun and shot the bear and killed it. But, Yeah. Wow. Supposedly, the guy said the first thing he said afterwards was, well, this is going to be a bear of a mess to clean up. (laughs) Of course, he had to slip a dad joke in there. Right? I know. A rabid bear. I can't even, I can't, I, I, there's nothing more scary than that. And being thrown from like a, I don't, a gator? I'm just, not an alligator. (laughs) I just, I can't imagine like, and then I'd just run. I think I would run. I don't think I would try and shoot it. I think I would just try to get out of there. But you can't because bears run as fast as horses. I didn't say it would be the smart thing to do. I just said that's probably what I would do. (laughs) That's what's so scary about bears is you can't escape from them. Like, they run super fast, like faster than you'd think. They climb trees. trees, Yeah. Like, what do you even do? They're giant. Yeah, we'll go over that in a minute. Okay. So this one is also a crazy story in part because this guy, Gene Moe, was 68 years old when this happened. Whoa. So he was hunting deer in Alaska back in 1999, and he, like, found a buck or shot a buck. I don't really know, but basically the buck was also being 
a grizzly also had his eye on the same deer. So a 750-pound Kodiak grizzly grabbed him, literally face-to-face grabbed him, and all he had to fight back with was, like, this his skinning knife, like, Ugh. to, like, to separate the skin from a, you know, when you're hunting. Yeah. So he stabbed the bear in the throat and sucker punched okay. him. And I guess, like, the bear was so confused that it, like, took a step back before it, like, started attacking him again. So he was able to get his gun and then shoot it a few times. And since it was rabid, I don't have a problem with him doing that. This one was not rabid. Well, oh. it doesn't say specifically that it was rabid. The gator one was rabid. Oh, oh, oh. But I mean, yeah. I mean, if the bear is attacking you, I don't know, I don't yeah. know what you do. I don't know. If it's I literally mean, yeah, biting you. it's a life you. or death. But like, I don't know. Like, did he do anything to provoke it? Well, I mean, I think they were both going after this. I don't think he realized it, but he was hunting he the same. He just got yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, this one's kind of funny, there's this guy, Gord Shervel, who was taking a dump in his outhouse, <laughs> and Good start. according to him, a bear came up and grabbed his pants, so <gasps> his pants were, like, down around his ankles, and he's trying to get away from this bear. Oh my god. And he's just, his story is hilarious. He said things like, I'm sitting on the throne and my feet are sort of up on the poop stool, as we call it. <laughs> The squatty potty? Yeah. I just left the door open because it was a beautiful morning. I I was sitting there enjoying looking out there. You can imagine what those shithouses can be like. From now on, I'll probably put up with the stench and shut the door. Just like, so, and again, his friend. So cavalier. This bear also got shot, but his friend heard like the noise of this bear attack happening in a outhouse and showed up, showed up and shot the bear for him. So. That's nuts that it just attacked him when he was literally not doing anything anything i know i don't know or if this guy's telling the truth you know i don't know but basically maybe he had like beef jerky in his pants or something i don't know maybe so bears are all over the place north america has three main types of bears the black bear the grizzly bear and the polar bear so polar bears are extremely dangerous and will hunt and attack people but most of the other bears that you'll run into tend to be you either like scared them somehow or you got between them and their cubs or them and their food like they're not going to go out of their way to hunt you down except polar bears are mean will like hunt you for eating yes or just for fun yeah i don't know they just like will actually stalk you so for fun (laughs) (laughs) and also i think we've talked about this in the podcast before maybe a little bit but basically just because they're called black bears doesn't mean they're all black so like black bears could be almost any color from like a light tan to a dark black and so could Mm -hmm. other types of bears so just basing it off the color is not a good enough reason grizzlies usually have a hump of muscle behind their shoulders which can kind of help you and they're also like significantly larger than black bears so if you want to avoid a bear encounter there's a couple of things you can do one would be just like if you're hiking and stuff you should hike in a group and you should make a lot of noise or like singing like you shouldn't try and be like a stealth hiker like you want the bear to know that you're coming um and also like paying attention to things like looking for bear poop or bear track marks and stuff or just like in general like if you see signs that a bear has been through there it might be a good idea to go a different way um and then camping like we talked about you want your food to be far away from your campsite so you want to like double bag it hang it 14 feet above the ground you want to store it far away from where your actual campsite is as far as possible at least 100 yards is suggested i heard that they can smell a single Cheerio in a car, well, in like a locked car. 
Yeah, and the, this article says, like, maybe putting your food in your car, but even if you put your food in the car, that just means they maybe won't attack you. The bear could still come and, like, try and get into your car. So that's yeah. not necessarily the – like, a lot – they have those things where you can hang the food kind of out, like – Yeah, they have, like, bear boxes exactly. and stuff like that. Yeah, and if you spot a bear in the distance, you should back away and find a different route. But if you can't find a different mm-hmm. route – you should wait at least like 20 to 30 minutes before you head back down the trail and try to make noise again to let them know that you're coming so that they you won't like put them into attack mode and hopefully they'll move away. If you are more closely running into a bear, like you turn the corner and there's the bear, you should stop, stand your ground, and kind of try and assess the situation. So if the bear doesn't come towards you, it like instantly like if it's just kind of observing you you should try to slowly back away while keeping your eye on the bear so they say like don't turn and run don't turn your back on the bear um to your point yeah they can run really really fast so if it starts to come towards you you want to try to make yourself seem as big as possible so like you know put your arms out and stand tall and if you have anything to make you look even bigger and use a really stern voice and tell the bear to go away Yes, the bear won't understand you, but the noise and stuff will yeah. will help. Um, and if it keeps coming towards you, hopefully you have bear spray. And when it's 20 to 30 feet away, you can use the bear spray on the bear. To tr- it's like mm. extreme pepper spray. Mm-hmm. And I read that like if they if they stand up on their hind legs, it's not necessarily a bad sign. Like sometimes they just do that because they're curious and they like want a better look at you. Mm-hmm. It's not like because they're going to attack you. Like sometimes they're just curious. Yeah. And I was reading there's like two different kinds of attack. So like a defensive attack is the most common type of bear attack. And that's when they are like, again, they're just trying to defend themselves because you surprise them or they're defending their kids or they're defending their food. Mm-hmm. They're not like truly being predatory. They kind of just want you away from where they are. Things that they might do in that case, hop charges, fake rush towards you, slap the ground, huffing, teeth clacking, mm. etc. And it's kind of the bear's way of saying like, Back off. you're not welcome here. Yeah. Sometimes it'll stand on its hind legs to get a better look at you or to smell better to determine how threatening you are. And again, you're kind of first and you're the first thing you should try and do if you can is just to slowly back away without turning your back on the bear. Yeah. If the bear makes physical contact with you, they say it's best to play dead in an attempt to defuse the situation. So if you have to play dead, you should either lay flat on your stomach with your fingers interlocked over your neck and your elbows and legs spread so it's harder for the bear to like roll you back onto your back. Or curl up in the fetus position again with your fingers interlocked over your neck. And again, and this would be assuming it's a defensive attack where they're not like trying to eat you. They're just trying to get rid of the threat. So if they believe that you are dead or, you know, like if you seem less threatening, then they should leave you alone. And they said you should wait at least 20 to 30 minutes on the ground before you get back up again. Wow. That would be so freaking terrifying. If you have to use like a rock or a stick, if that's like the only weapon you have available, try to aim for sensitive spots like the nose and the eyes on the face. Oh my god, that would be so terrifying. I can't even imagine. And I think I've told you about um, my, the like rhyme about what to do if you run into different kinds of bears. Have I told you this one before? Yep. Yeah. So brown bears, you should try to play dead. Black bears, you should try to attack. You don't want to climb a tree. Here's some other things. (laughs) Safety in numbers. You want to stay as calm as possible. How do you stay calm when, like, that's the hardest part, I bet, is, like, trying to stay calm whenever. I wouldn't be able to. I don't think I would at all. I think I would, even though I know better, I think I would totally run. Well, yeah. I mean, in any situation, it's so hard. We were, I was just in Iceland recently, and we went horseback riding, and they always say, like, hey, if your horse bolts or something like that, like, 
the worst thing you can do is like scream and freak out because that's telling the horse to go faster you know so you're supposed to like have a really calm voice and like slowly pull back on the reins let up slowly pull back on the reins like just be very calm and of course our horses freaking bolted <laughs> and they they just like knew we were headed back to them to their um corral so they got really excited and they just freaking took off oh man and it, we, I was just like holding onto this horse for dear life. And I was just like, like your first instinct is to freak out. And so yeah. I had to be like, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Just like, and to, and to everyone's credit, like every, every horse bolted, like it, they started a freaking stampede <laughs> and at, like to their credit, everyone on the tour did exactly what they were supposed to do. Like no one freaked out. No one started screaming. Like everyone was just calmly trying to slow their horses down. But like at one point, my feet came out of the stirrups because I just was like not expecting it to bolt. And I was just like holding onto its mane and I was like almost sideways off of the back because it just like caught everyone by surprise. And at one point I was just like, I'm going to fall off this thing. Like there's no way I can stay on any longer. And finally they slowed down. But like I was very impressed with everyone because like none of us were like very good horseback riders and everyone (laughs) did exactly what they were supposed to do. And it was like a miracle that no one fell off. Well, that that's good. But yeah, it's like so hard to go against your instincts. Yeah. And even knowing it. And I actually I forget what what survival thing I was reading or whatever, but they were talking about how even like things that you've heard a million times, like paying attention to things like the the safety video on an airplane can help you. Just because, like, we're like, your in- your mind. Yeah, your instinct won't necessarily be the right thing, but like, if you like drill it into your brain subconsciously, kind of, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's nuts. Yep. Well, good information. Hopefully, we never have to use it. I know. Yeah. I also I was listening to the radio the other day, and they I forget it was some country singer. I was listening at the country radio station, but he was talking about how he was like going fishing somewhere like Alaska. I don't remember if it was exactly Alaska, and they had heard that there were bears around, and they like got off the helicopter and they saw some bears and they all like went running back to the helicopter and mm-hmm. they were fine but the beer went up and like picked up his beer and licked it mm-hmm. and then left it and he was like so I drank beer spit like he was so proud of himself uh, <laughs> it was so funny God. he's like I'm strong as a bear now that I've had bear spit <laughs> my beer uh, hopefully it wasn't rabid yeah I know right <laughs> anyways okay should we uh talk about the next book oh wait no what else do we do about each book so scene we do favorite scene but i pretty much already shared mine i the quickening when they share their gifts was my favorite scene yeah i think that would be what i'd want to see most too because that's where you see all three sisters and the magic at work and just like the performance aspect of it i agree yeah we can talk about the next one in the series it's called one dark throne and we are going to read up to page 226, The Sea Watch Mountains. Yes, although I think there might be multiple chapters called The Sea Watch Mountains. Oh, okay. Well, we're on page 226. Let's see if maybe there's not. Does yours have the same page count? Yeah. I'm just kind of quickly. Okay, so as far it's the first at least time that the Sea Watch Mountains appears in midsummer section, I think. Oh, it's cool that they have um like a cast of characters at the beginning. Oh, I hadn't even noticed that. Into yet. that. I love that. That's just so helpful. That will definitely help me because you know how I struggle with names, so. <laughs> um okay, do you want me to read you a little bit about this next book? Yes, please. Okay. The battle for the crown has begun, but which of the three sisters will prevail? With the unforgettable events of the quickening behind them and the ascension year underway, all bets are off. 
Catherine, once the weak and feeble sister, is stronger than ever before. Oh, so you were right. <laughs> Arsenault, after discovering the truth about her powers, needs to figure out how to make her secret talent work in her favor without anyone finding out. And Mirabella, the elemental sister thought to be the certain queen crowned, faces attacks that put those around her in, in danger she can't seem to prevent. Ooh, in this thrilling sequel to Kendar Blake's New York Times best-selling Three Dark Crowns, Fenbeer's deadliest queens must confront the one thing standing in their way of the crown, each other. So do you really think they're all going to be alive at the end of this book? I do. I think they're all going to be alive at the end of the series. That's just my prediction. Okay, well, remember how I said at one point we'd at least think one was dead, even if they weren't actually dead, which almost happened in the last book? Yeah, true. Maybe... I'll think that at least one is at least presumed dead by the end of this book, if okay. not actually dead. I don't know. Oh, I also had a question for you. Mm -hmm. Why does Joseph not have a familiar? It seems like everyone else who's a naturalist does. That is a great question. I saw you wrote that in your notes, I think, that you shared with me too. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. And I do not have an answer for you. I wonder if he just like, because he was gone for so long, somehow missed it. But yeah, maybe because we don't really learn when they call their familiars. It just happens at some point. So maybe he was like too young to have one and then was banished. But now that he's back, I feel like he should have one. I know, especially because it seems really weird that Arsenault hasn't had one yet. You would think that it would also be really weird that Joseph doesn't have one. Right. They make a big deal out of her not having a familiar and how it's like means she has a weak gift. So yeah, I don't know. I agree. I think yeah. that is weird. So hopefully we'll get an answer to that at some point. Maybe he'll get one in the next book. Maybe he had a familiar and when he got banished. No, but that doesn't make sense. We'd know that. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we'd know that. But that is a good prediction because they kill the familiars of the girls who become priestesses. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay, other questions. So now it did imply that Catherine is stronger, but it didn't imply that she has the wrong power. So does that... I wonder True. if she's magically stronger or just like she survived this hard thing and like I said is angry and therefore like more motivated oh, has like more willpower yeah that could be it honestly because I don't I mean unless that Breccia domain hole in the ground somehow is magical and maybe like gave her special powers now that she fell into it I could see it being magical though too because it's like connecting all the sacred places right and that's where all the queens yeah. go and it has like no bottom I could see if given this magical world where I don't understand all the rules yet I could see that being somehow magical and Agreed. connecting her with or maybe she like somehow met some of the queens who were done I don't know I'm just mm. I don't know but I hope we get some answers me too well, do you have a joke for me to end on? I do, but I am a little bit nervous I've told you this one before. So if I have, I'll Ooh. look up a different one. Okay. Okay. So there, we're at, you know, the pearly gates, St. Peter's working. And <laughs> there's two There's two guys there. There's a taxi driver and there is a priest. So okay. St. Peter welcomes them both in. He's like, here, welcome to the neighborhood. Let me show you where you'll spend the rest of eternity. So first they go to this beautiful villa that looks over, you know, a gorgeous field of cloud flowers. And he says, this is where you'll be to the taxi driver. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. And moves on. And then the priest is getting kind of excited because he's like, oh, well, if the taxi driver gets that nice of a place. I can only imagine how big my mansion is going to be. But when they arrive, it's just a small apartment. Hmm. So it's like a one bedroom, you know, studio, New York kind of apartment. And uh, the priest is, you know, a little bit confused. So he, he asked St. Peter, you know, he's like, I devoted 
decades of my life solely to serving the Lord as a clergyman. And, you know, I saw the taxi driver got a villa. And so why do I only have a small apartment? And St. Peter's like, you know, I I get that. But we really go by results up here. And uh, when you were preaching, people fell asleep. But when he drove, (laughs) lots of people were praying. (laughs) Oh, my God, that's good. (laughs) I have not heard that. The priest told that it church a couple weeks ago and I couldn't remember if I said it afterwards or not, so. no that's good yeah. I like that a lot that's funny <laughs> quick question yes. are you going to be doing the um carry on reading worldwide read-along with um rainbow roll this week uh tell me more because I didn't know about it oops so have you read carry on no okay I don't think it's so. really great and you probably should I do like rainbow roll but I haven't read that one they're doing like they're doing like a um a read-along where you're gonna, you're supposed to start tomorrow, so okay. July 29th, um, although when this comes out, it'll be later, but um, it goes until August 11th, and you, it's like a Twitter book club with um, Rainbow Roll, and on August 1st, she's going to be discussing chapters 1 through 21, and then on August 4th, it's like every week, she just, or every couple of days, she discusses like a new batch of chapters. So it's Wait, that's um, awesome. August 1st, yeah, August 1st, August 4th, August 8th, and August 11th. And it's on August 11th at 1 p.m. It's when Rainbow Roll will be there to discuss. So are you participating? I should. I don't have Twitter, so maybe I'll do- download it for that. But um, I loved that book, and I want to do a reread since... Uh, Wayward Sun is coming out soon, so maybe I will. That's cool. I've been look for me on Twitter. Goodreads and Instagram have been talk. I feel like readathons in general have been like popping up a lot on my feed, and I'm like, I need to participate in something more communal. Like you're yeah. you're kind of the only person I read with, and whoever listens to this, I guess. But I uh, I was reading a lot about the 24 and 48. Have you ever done that? Mm-mm. It's like uh, they pick like a weekend and the goal is to read 24 out of the 48 hours. So people like line up what oh, books cool. they're going to read. And even if you don't like it's really like a book focused weekend, but you're allowed to like sleep and eat and things like that, obviously. But I was like, oh, that would be so fun oh, sometimes. Absolutely. Well, let me know if you do it. I'll do it with you. OK, maybe we should just pick one or we'll you can follow I'll us fly in. <laughs> on Instagram and Facebook and know when we're doing one or whatever. But yeah. It, yeah. And they were like, if you like had plans with friends, just meet up together and read next to each other. And I was like, why don't I do that with my friends more often? That would be awesome. I will totally fly to Phoenix and we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Or as Katie said, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And we will see you next week. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.